the Florida Gators 2023 recruiting class is all but wrapped up pretty much, right? Yeah, um, that's what that's the approach we're taking. But we're going to talk about it here. John Garcia, Locked On's Recruiting Insider here on Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Joining me now for Locked On Gators is John Garcia, Locked On's recruiting insider. And before we get into it, I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your draft for free at linkedin.com slash Locked On College. Terms and conditions apply. And John, there's a lot going on uh, in Gainesville, but but we're going to focus on the class as a whole. Florida Gators 2023 class is basically done like whether you add a couple transfer or high school kids the huge majority of this class is done with florida and while we look at it just right now what would you say is the biggest strength of this class well we've we've talked about it on this pod for a long time it's the positional units that had that great combination of volume and star power simultaneously. So three come to mind with this Gator class. It's obviously wide receiver. That group is is certainly versatile, and you expect those guys to hit the ground running with the need on that side of the ball. And then defensively, both up front on the D-line and in the secondary, Florida got a an array of talented prospects and versatile prospects where you can kind of put together full units, a full secondary and a full – defensive front so really it's the takeaway for me is that you're overhauling with volume and talent three position groups that clearly watching the gators in 2022 clearly need an influx in in talent so i do think that you've addressed your needs about as well as any school in the country has of course there are other standout players at other positions obviously we love Jaden rashada there's a lot of great players to to isolate on individually but collectively it's those position groups and the balance of the recruiting class for me uh, that makes this uh, a really intriguing group and a borderline top 10 class and i mean just looking at this class what do you think the biggest weakness is for a class where one high-ranking offensive lineman only one linebacker in general no tight ends so what is probably the biggest weakness here well, yeah, I think running back and linebacker left some from desire, both from a volume standpoint and a talent standpoint. I think uh, th- there was a lot out there for Florida at different points at those positions and obviously some late misses at those spots, tight end included. I, I thought that was a an interesting pivot late in the cycle to try to go grab some some tight ends. Didn't work out for this class, but again, it's it's a little bit nitpicky in my opinion. Yeah, uh, tight end was an interesting one for me, too, because it's like we spent so long going, yep, Florida's not even trying to get a tight end. And then Jaden Platt becomes available, and all of a sudden there's a big push, and then Texas A&M, um, which really sucked. But <laughs> talking about players who are committed to the Florida Gators, who's probably the most important player in this class? Because I, I know we spoke about this a long time ago, and this class was probably half the size. But now you're looking at Kelby Collins because he's the highest rated player consensus-wise. Jaden Rashada, 
because he's a quarterback, which is obviously the most valuable position in football. And you with SI 99 have him as the number 10 overall recruit in college football or Roger Kearney, who is also interesting that you guys have him listed as an offensive tackle. Most places have him listed as a guard, which we've talked about this before. I mean, it's kind of flipped with Francis Maui Goa. Most places have him as a tackle. SI 99, SI 99, you guys had him at a guard, but he's got a solid chance to contribute immediately because Florida's lost Roger Kearney. Uh, Florida's lost Richard Garage. Florida's lost Michael Tarpin. Florida's lost Ethan White. And Florida's lost Osiris Torrance one returning starter. So does that make him instantly the most important guy? I'd have probably went Rashada before your, your great setup, but I think you're talking me into Kearney. Um, He's a guy who, yeah, we list him as a tackle because we see him as a swing prospect. I think he could play either tackle and I think he could play guard. I think a guy who could play four spots, heck, he could probably learn to play center is going to bring you so much value, especially when one, there's a huge need. You just mentioned all the key departures. There's more departures beyond that grouping. And then two, this group wasn't didn't hit its ceiling. I think if you really dug into this class, the lack of depth on the O-line from a recruiting standpoint is probably where you, you can nitpick even more so than running back and linebacker, as I just tried to do, because you do have some volume there. But in terms of guys ready to play today, that list starts and could end with Kearney. So I do think he, by default, becomes the most important 2023 player from this list. Now, if you talk about development and long-term, it'll go Rashada. It could be Kelby Collins. It, it could be Cam James. There's a lot of players that you could really dig into. I love Andy Jean. I think he's the highest floor or wide receiver that Florida's brought in. He could be a glue third and sixth guy for several years under Billy Napier, but in terms of this upcoming season and right now, I'm going to go with Kieran. He can play either guard spot and at least one tackle spot immediately. Uh, he's polished. He's super athletic. I love the pad level that he plays with at 6'4", 300 pounds, the movement skills, the redirection ability, all, all those boxes are checked uh, very boldly with Kearney. And we saw him again one more time at the Under Armour All-America game week and it was status quo. He held his own as usual and worked multiple positions. The two things that really make Kearney for us a, a clear SI-99 recruit. I, I love his floor, uh, but his ceiling is intriguing simultaneously, especially when you tie in that versatility from a, a position projection standpoint. Yeah, and with Kearney, I, I would like to ask also, because I know I saw some Gators fans talking about this uh Monday where they were talking about Kearney potentially coming in and playing right away, but they thought he was light as in he needs to add like 20 to 30 pounds. Um, I wasn't super certain about that one. And so, <laughs> and so I would like to get your take on it. Do you think Roger Kearney needs to add weight, maybe just convert some baby fat to muscle, whatever it might be to be ready to play sec football? Yeah. I mean, he's right at 300 pounds, so I'm not sure if it's a look test kind of thing, uh, I got the Under Armour roster right here. He was listed at 6'4", 300 pounds, so I'm not sure what that looks like. He wasn't overpowered uh, consistently by by a really good D-line class that he was going up against. I mean, he's going up against Kelby Collins and Peter Woods and David Hicks, some really elite, like, top-level blue-chip recruits. 
and he was never really overpowered. It was never like, oof, he, he didn't belong here, which which was not the case for some other offensive linemen that were participating. So uh, I, I didn't get that takeaway in, in seeing him in the offseason or certainly seeing him uh, earlier this year. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not as on board with that. And, look, the, these guys are, are going to get there. He's an early enrollee. He's probably already moved in by the time this recording drops. And boom, you're immediately going to hit that SEC strength and conditioning program, the nutritional program, all of that simultaneously. So by the time, you know, September rolls around, I think if there were any body tweaks to be had, uh, 10 months is a long time to accomplish those, especially when you're going from high school to college. Things change physically very, very quickly when you make that jump. Yeah, it's also important to say that, you know, Florida last year had Richard Garage starting at tackle 6'5", 308. So an inch taller, but eight pounds heavier. So probably distributed generally the same Kingsley Aguakin, 301 pound. They had quite a few offensive linemen that are in that range. Austin Barber, 310 pounds. Uh, Osiris Torrance is probably the biggest outlier because that dude is just a mountain. Uh, he's no, like in no category on the field. Yeah, he's like 340 pounds. So he's obviously way different there. I don't know about you, but as bad as Monday night was for the national championship, at least I made some money off it while I was being very upset because bet online. That, that that's where I went. I went to bet online. I've been using bet online for years. It's one of my favorite sports books. So bet online's been the place. And yes, I use multiple. Deal with it. Um, but it's got so much, not just football, basketball, baseball, soccer, hockey, tennis. The variety on Bet Online is insane. It's ridiculous. And really, it's kind of unmatched. They have everything on Bet Online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn all about the trends and action. Check out Bet Online. It's where the game starts. But uh, one guy that you mentioned earlier was Andy Jean, who I did want to ask about because Andy Jean is one of the. <laughs> It seems weird to say because so many people are high on him. He's one of the lowest ranked four stars that Florida has right now committed. Um, so there's Andy Jean, Bryce Thornton, and Jaden Robinson as some of the lower ranked four star players. But I did want to ask you just about their potential impact, whether it's 2023 or beyond, because they're lower ranked four star players that Florida Gators fans, myself included, are very high on for this roster. Yeah, and I think there's some continuity between them, especially Gene and Thornton in particular. Neither is going to physically overwhelm you. And look, let's be honest, I've worked at 24-7. I've worked at Scout. I'm working at SI. Like, we value the profile, right? The athletic profile and the frame. How well do you check those boxes? And when you're like a Nicholas Harbor, you're like, look, I know he's pretty raw on the football field, but look at all this stuff that you got going for him. These guys are, are the antithesis of that. Andy Jean, what, six foot, 180 pounds or so, good speed, not but not the fastest guy, you know, at the position nationally. Um, and he's not the biggest guy, right? But man, can he put together route combinations? When you get to the top of the route, he is going to win. He showed up in the biggest games for Miami Northwestern. They weren't expected to be a classic, you know, Amari Cooper, Teddy Bridgewater, Miami Northwestern team. And Gene among others, really propelled them deep into the playoffs this year. Uh, and he had some explosive games, including I think his last game, he had like a 75-yard touchdown. Uh, so this is a player who has that combination of 
when the lights are bright, he's okay with it and ready to make plays, but he's also got this polish as a wide receiver that really carries over. Uh, so the mental with Andy Jean is strong, even though the physical might leave something to be desired. Ditto for, for Thornton. He's a savvy, savvy defensive back. I, I think when you talk about a guy who's not going to be a pure corner, there's always this gray area that you can move a guy within or, or outside of. Bryce kind of occupies all the gray areas. Can, can he play nickel? Can he play safety? Can he support the run? Is he good at the catch point? Is he consistent? Does he take the right angles? Is he efficient? All those answers are yes, um, but it just doesn't overwhelm you physically like we talked about with, with Andy Jean. Smaller guy, not, again, not the most explosive, but when you think of those great in-between players, I think of like a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in the NFL who like pesky as hell, but smart in position and and will impact the game one way or the other. And I think that's where you can get some of those crossover moments with, with Bryce Thornton, even though there's not one physical trait that you say, Oh my gosh, he's just, he's so fluid or he just runs so fast. He's so explosive. It's not as easy to see, but when you, you dig into it, there's a lot to like with these prospects. And, and if those are the secondary tier two guys that we're talking about with Florida's class, it's another indicator that this is a really nice group. Yeah, I like that you said Chauncey, because while you were listing everything that Bryce Thornton can do and, and his consistency and, and everything, I was thinking like, I don't know if it's the Gator fan in me, but I'm immediately <laughs> thinking Chauncey Gardner. I, I tried to keep it Gainesville specific. Yeah, you were going with it. And I was like, I don't know what it is, but I'm thinking Chauncey Gardner Johnson. And then I started Googling Chauncey Gardner Johnson to see his measurables. And then you go. Yeah, like Chauncey Gardner Johnson, and so yeah. that's why I was like, I have to laugh at that yeah. one. Where yeah, I think he just had what a huge payday in the NFL, still collecting a bunch of interceptions, and none of them. It's like he's right place, right time. You know yeah. that that's his his mo. And Bryce has a lot of that in his game, and 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 ditto to Chauncey coming out of high school, played just great competition in the Atlanta area. Uh, Chauncey's not from there, but I'm saying he played great competition in high school coming out. So the indicators we got on Friday nights weren't just, hey, I'm the best athlete on the field, even though I'm not considered an elite athlete. No, no, no. This was, I'm not the best athlete on the field, but I'm still making this very high-level impact. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's going to crack that rotation sooner rather than later. Yeah, hope so, because uh, Florida's lost four safeties in, in this offseason. It's <laughs> yeah, two yeah. to the draft, two to the portal. So we need someone there. Actually, three if you include Trevez Johnson, who is now with Missouri. So, yeah, so there you go. F five guys with three get to the portal. So there's that. <laughs> um, Florida and Billy Napier have taken a very specific approach in terms of recruiting. Where And Billy Napier's been very open about this. Where he's like, hey, we want to focus on recruiting within a 500-mile radius of Gainesville, which you could probably do with Florida schools more than you can do with a school from, you know, even – the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. you can probably, because there, there's so much talent just in Florida and in Georgia and in Louisiana, because in that 500 mile radius, you barely fit New Orleans in there. So you can get That's quite important. a few guys in there. We're, we're, we're squeaking in there. It's like, oh, 497 miles <laughs> or whatever it is, but still within 500. And of Florida's 21 commits for this class, strictly talking high school, Florida only has two kids outside of that 500 mile radius. One of them, Jaden Rashada, of course, yep. from California. And one of them is 
technically outside the 500 mile radius because it's Will Norman who is an IMG kid but spent right. his last year in New Jersey. So really 20 of the 21 right, right. from within 500 miles. But is, is that maybe sustainable for Florida to go, okay, well, within 500 miles of Gainesville, we're going to try to just continue winning those battles with these 21-man classes, and we're going to try to build a championship-caliber team through that way. Yeah, it can, it can absolutely be done. This is Look, this is Florida. This is the best high school football state in the country. You're in the almost direct middle of that state. Your neighboring states are uh, obviously Georgia, which is – at worst, the fourth best high school football state in the country. Some will argue it's up to two or three. And there'll be some that tell you it's number one at this point, uh, especially following the pandemic with, with all the population movers. And then you look at those border states, Alabama, Louisiana, not only where a ton of Billy Napier ties exist, but per capita, those two states produce the most NFL players relative to their population. So, yeah, if you can recruit well within that 500-mile uh, radius, you're, you're going to do quite all right. Uh, and you could even consider Rashada at one point uh, a lock to IMG Academy. So he would have been in Florida as well at the end of, of his high school career. I think he was committed to IMG and then COVID happened. So he ended up staying uh, back home in California. So yeah, really the uh, there's a lot of Florida Rashada vibes, um, you know, coming out of, of the last few years, really, in looking at his trajectory. So, yeah, you can absolutely do well in that footprint. You know, there's been – you have to recruit nationally in general. That's kind of the general consensus for winning. But if you think of the schools that that have to do it outside of that footprint, it's Ohio State, it's USC, it's Texas, right? Clemson probably right on the bubble in that regard. But when you look at the great teams in, in the South, it's largely within their footprint. Um, Georgia just did it with, you know, Mr. Georgia, Stetson Bennett leading the way. Um, Alabama obviously has always dominated its own state and gone into Florida and Georgia historically well. LSU, again, same kind of footprint. You sprinkle in the national recruiting, but the foundation is really closer to home. And we just saw the stat that became official on Monday. What is it? 13 of the last 17 national champions are in the sec. So, and the outliers are some of the schools we just mentioned. It's Ohio state, Clemson, and I guess Florida state would be that other outlier, but it's same deal. 500 mile radius from Tallahassee is, is kind of the bulk of, of what FSU does on the recruiting trail. So the, in the last 17 years, that precedent has been good enough. The, the question has always been who can challenge that. And it's those schools that have to recruit nationally that are outside of the, the SEC footprint. So Florida doesn't have to play that game. And, and this class, I think, is a strong indicator that uh, playing it close to home is, is going to be just fine. Yeah, and um, <laughs> I, I hate that I have to ask this, but I was planning on doing it anyway. Uh, but Florida currently has 21 high school commits. Caden Jones being the most recent one who just committed last week. Yeah. He's obviously not an early enrollee. Florida has 16 early enrollees. Um, we'll, we, we'll bypass the Jaden Rashada stuff. I was going to say, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll bypass the Jaden Rashada stuff. But 21 commits, 16 kids currently enrolled. And then you have Caden Jones, who's not signed yet. And four kids who are signed but not enrolled, Jaden Rashada included. 
what kind of an advantage is it for Florida to have, or not, obviously not an advantage over anybody else specifically, but just what kind of an advantage is it for the program and for the player to have so many of your high school commits signed and enrolled and they're going to be there for spring ball. They're going to be able to get this added time with the team that, you know, other kids won't get that advantage. Other schools might not have that advantage, but for Florida, how important is that for building a team where you can go, okay, we wanted freshmen to play early anyway. Now they have that much more time with Florida's just strength and conditioning, the playbook, any practices that you might do. It's huge. I mean, just even in the the simple assimilation to college life, it's huge. Um, you, you, you're, you know, mom's not there anymore to wake you up or whatever it is. It's on you. So on on two ends of the spectrum, one, if, if you're the overachiever who's always been there, done that, you now have more time to continue achieving greatness. Now, if you're on the other side of it and you've always needed that push, you will now, as an early enrollee, have the opportunity to go through those bumps and bruises in January and February and March, as opposed to June, July, and August when the season is all but here. And now all of a sudden you're buried on the depth chart and, and work in the scout team before you know it. Uh, you, you have an opportunity to continue to start fast or start slow and get it out of your system before it really starts to count. Uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, Brandon, but I'd love to know from like, let's say a given outlets, freshman, all American team, how many of those freshmen were early enrollees? I do know these elite freshmen that seemingly hit the ground running better than most are usually early enrollees. So there's a precedent for um, great players starting in January, as opposed to May or June. There's always outliers. There's always exceptions to the rule, but for the large portion of freshmen that make a true impact, they're enrolling in the month of January to, to either get the kinks out or just, again, hit the ground running and, and make it known immediately, hey, I'm, I'm a guy, I'm going to factor in, uh, let me just learn this scheme and, and college life in the meantime. Yeah, you mentioned college life. Uh, I don't know about anybody listening. I went away for college. Um, don't look at my transcript from that first that freshman year. Uh, so I'll say that much. Exactly, okay. right? You needed to kind of figure out, okay, this is how it's going to be in this either part of the country or just this area that I'm not necessarily comfortable with. So let's get those, those bumps in the road behind us. Yeah. Get, getting them just, just, you know, uh, my old boss used to have a saying that was eat the frog in the morning and just, just get the worst part of your day done early on, get the worst part of your time done early on. That's kind of the approach there. Uh, but before I let you go, we talked about Florida's high school class a lot and their commits, but we haven't really talked much about the transfer portal today. We did a whole show on it last week, but right. we haven't talked much about it today. But Florida, you know, had a great defensive line class in high school, added two defensive linemen to their class recently. Florida has just one linebacker committed from high school, added two Big Ten specifically linebackers in the past, you know, week and a half, although we knew Taraji Mitchell was coming to Gainesville for quite some time. He just needed to get bounced on New Year's Eve, and then he can come to Florida. Uh, Florida added a quarterback also from the Big Ten and then an offensive lineman from the Big 12 so far in the portal. So how do you think Florida's kind of managed recruiting so far with high school players bringing in you know, veteran players who can contribute early in case your high school kids aren't ready, filling a weakness like recruiting at linebacker, replacing Anthony Richardson with an experienced quarterback, and then adding in 
the guy who, according to Pro Football Focus, was the second best pass blocking guard in the country behind only Osiris Torres. So, <laughs> so, so you're replacing the best with the second best. So what do you think of Florida's kind of approach here to managing the high school and portal recruiting? Well, look, if you looked at the immediate departures, the, the ones that hit the hardest just from the outside looking in, Anthony Richardson, Osiris Torrance. Uh, I don't know if Dexter has already made his fate official. Th these are the players, Ventrell Miller. These are the departures that you're like, oh, man, this is huge. So if you constructed a transfer portal plan, you're like, we got to hit those four spots, probably first. They've already done that now. Some of the names, particularly that quarterback, weren't, I'm sure, as easy to digest, especially given the amount of talent at the quarterback position available. But again, we, we talked about it on the last show. Graham Mertz has the, the combination of experience, athleticism, chip on your shoulder, and this, this mental ability to grasp offenses that change every year that is going to help sooner rather than later. So he's one to, to maybe not undervalue in this pursuit through the portal. But again, you've answered player specific holes as opposed to position specific holes. That is where you start to combine everything with the high school recruits coming in as well. But in terms of bringing in experience at key spots, you've done it. You know, um, Mazakua will replace Torrance in theory. Uh, Mitchell will replace Miller. Obviously Mertz will replace uh, Richardson in, in that pursuit. And you've got a couple of D linemen that can play, uh, inside out uh, most notably of course cam jackson coming over from memphis so this is a nice group so far we know the first portal window's got about a week left and the second portal window will be just as hectic in the spring when it reshuffles again and you expect a program like florida to take advantage of both windows so you've hit the initial box now it's about depth and honestly scouting out the best available uh, relative to what you got coming on board. And what's interesting about that spring window that I'm sure we'll talk plenty about is that we'll have another layer of tape, right? We'll have spring practices and obviously spring games across the country to look at. And it's always a time of year where we're talking about the following season more than ever. So all of that will factor in well as Florida evaluates its own roster simultaneously. So yeah, I think more portal additions are, are certainly along the way. I can't wait for it. I, you know me. I just I, I'm rooting for chaos always, so I can't wait for it. But the portal and chaos go hand in hand, my friend. Which is perfect for me. Thank you so much, John. This is John Garcia, Locked On's recruiting insider. Catch him all throughout the Locked On College Channel and Locked On Gators every week. So far, we're two for two with weeks of having you on the show in 2023. So we're we're on track to be perfect. It's awesome. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for having me.